Hello, data enthusiasts. This is Chris Detzel, and I'm Michael Burke. Welcome to Data Hurls. We are your gateway into the intricate world of data, where AI, machine learning, big data, and social justice intersect. Expect thought-provoking discussions, captivating stories, and insights from experts all across the industries as we explore the unexpected ways data impacts our lives. So get ready to be informed, inspired, and excited about the future of data. Let's conquer these data hurdles together. All right. Welcome to another Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel and... I'm Michael Burke. How you doing, Chris? Pretty good, man. Mm-hmm. We're just talking and you're telling me it's super cold. It is freezing where I am right now. It's 11 degrees. Yesterday, we were out on the ice, which is nice. We're recording this on a Saturday, so feeling a little bit more refreshed. Um, it's actually Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> That's right. Good point. That's so refreshed. Oh, shit. We got to start getting ready for work days. Okay. Anyways. Yeah, it's time to go to work tomorrow. No, it was a really great weekend. My son went and I went sledding for the first time. Wow. Uh, went out on the ice and did a little skating, which is really cool. One of our friends has an ice rink that he built. Pretty That's awesome. Pretty cool. Is that outside or? Yeah, it's outside. Just poured a bunch of water in a box and then it's frozen <laughs> and it's amazing. It's, oh, wow. Uh, so yeah, having a really good time, and but man, is it cold. How about things on your end? How are you doing? You just finished a big race, didn't you? Yeah, I ran the Houston Half Marathon last week, and that was a lot of fun. My wife and I did that and did pretty well, was excited, and then got lots of other races coming up, so back to the grind of racing, and but we do that for fun, so it's we'll go on trips and run, and we'll spend five days of running, trip, you know what I mean? It's just, we, we make a vacation out of it sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> so, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm getting you into some of this, so it'd be pretty exciting. Yeah, I know. It's We're training. We got some big races signed up for. We're up on Leadville now, which is going to be pretty big. It's one for the books, right? New Hampshire as well before Leadville. Yeah, so really we got a couple. Yeah, we're excited. Today, I was talking to you about what do we want to talk about. You're saying you saw some cool things from this big conference that came up. So let's dive in. Yeah, so I was really blown away by, at CES, the Rabbit R1 that was just announced. Okay. Uh, it's about a week or so old now, but it, it is still worth definitely talking about. Really amazing technology. And what it is essentially is a phone, right? But instead of having the like apps and the graphics that you have on your iPhone or your Android, it's just using large language models, right? And text. And look, I don't think that this is like the game-changing piece of tech. This isn't like the replacement to the iPhone or everything, but I do think that this is a huge step forward for thinking about how we can use AI in our day-to-day lives and not even need apps in a lot of use cases. I feel like I could download ChatGPT on my phone and use it the same way. Is that not right? Or So it's a little bit different. So the R1 is designed to actually take action. Right now, all ChatGPT and almost all large language models in general are designed just to give you back information for you Uh to go take an action. With the R1, you can say, go book me a flight to Paris, right? Ah, and it will do it? It will do it. It will give you all the information and say, I put together this flight. This is what, and all you have to do is look at it and hit book, right? You don't have to go to the website. You don't have to click any additional links or go to the airline. And this move from being something that's passive and actively providing you information to active and being able to take action on your behalf 
is a big step. It's where a lot of people think these specialized agents <clears throat> are going to move in the next couple of years. And the R1 is the first iteration of that, right? Yeah, it's just the first. So I looked at it, it looks like this little device. And are you saying, okay, I can say, hey, go book me a, a flight from DFW, Dallas, Fort Worth to Paris, and we'll go book it. Now, will it use my American airline? Does it log into my American airlines so that it uses my miles and all these other things? Or is it just puts it yeah. out on Google and do, do it? How does that yeah, work? Yeah, so you link all your accounts into this okay. little device, right? Okay. So it knows who you are and... I'm sure that it's not going to be perfect, right? Like booking a trip, you need to know, is it just you? Is it a family or do you fly business? Do you fly economy? Do you want the cheapest flight or the most direct flight? There's so many decisions. Yeah. And, but I think that the really powerful thing is these are all things that a model could learn over time about you. Yeah. Imagine if you had an AI that knew that kind of information about you and could just find what you're looking for, right? I mean... We go back to the scary part. So yeah. it's learning everything about you and us as humans, we're going to do it. And it's like how much we're going to make these really smart about everything about Chris Detzel or Michael Burr. And yeah. I don't know, is there some kind of ethical potential issues there or what's the... I don't think so. Look, I think there always could be, right? This is the challenge with this information is that we've never had more insights into individuals in our lifetime. But a lot of companies like Apple has made some pretty good strides forward and others to make on-device memory and on-device storage that this stuff doesn't get synced to the cloud. It doesn't get transferred. Or if it is transferred, it's transferred in an anonymized way or protected way. Is there always going to be that risk? Yeah. Would I put my social security number into an application like this? No. Technology and society is <laughs> evolving, right? Yeah. That's, and we're experiencing it with whether you use these devices or not. I feel like data is getting out there, right? That's the other problem is that I think many people have accepted that what they put into a digital device now is less private than it ever has been before, right? And I think that's another kind of reason that this is able to move forward more fat, more quickly. Especially in the U.S. What do you think about, and this is kind of a, a question off the subject, but sort of on the subject is, I was reading stuff about Intel and them powering all these types of devices and they're the ones leading the way, but storage, the compute power and all this kind of stuff. I mean, everything there is changing. I mean, do, who, who's going to compete against like Intel and things like that. Yeah, I go, go look at like an NVIDIA stock price right now. Right? Yeah. And it's using GPUs or CPUs. It's skyrocketing. I think it's like anything else. You know, With all of this new AI that's come, there's a lot more processing demands that are needed to make this stuff function. I have a brand new laptop and it's it can struggle on some of these bigger models to run. Really? Yeah, and some of them it doesn't even run at all. And So you've tried it. On different models, and you've got a nice. I'm sure your laptop's pretty amazing. Oh yeah, I have gonna. I have five models running on my computer that are like ChatGPTs. They're miniature versions, right? Yeah, but they're amazing, and this is where everything is going. The really powerful thing about the Rabbit is, I believe that everything that is happening on that device is happening offline, and wow. that's where a lot of these phones are going to move. Is they're going to design these kind of miniature architectures, chip architectures, to run large language models locally. So imagine that you have a simplified version of ChatGPT on your phone that you can ask all these questions and you don't even need the internet, right? The phone 
knows about you. I know, but that doesn't really sound awesome to me. I don't really, I guess I'm not like, so what? Usually, but I usually have online stuff. Maybe that's really good for markets that don't have internet, but why does that matter to me? Why do I care? I think that the times that you don't have internet are some of the most painful times instilled in our tech ecosystem, right? True. You're on an airplane and all of a sudden you, there's no Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. Is the example that I like to use. I had that happen when there was supposed to be internet and I needed to get something done for work. I started asking ChatGPT to help me or like my localized large language model to help me with the problem that I needed to solve. I'm building up these slides and answering questions. And I started interacting with it like it was a peer. And sure, does it always provide the right information? No. But does it provide you enough to get going and really dig into something? Absolutely. And I think that's an incredibly powerful tool that you're going to see more and more being engaged and and interacted with different technologies all around you, right? Yeah, you're starting to really see, I was talking to somebody from Microsoft the other day, and they're like, any initiative that is going on at Microsoft today is really focused in on large language models, right? Or anything to do with AI. Everything. Now they have, you can go to Word, Excel, PowerPoint, whatever, Outlook, et cetera. And they've already built some cool stuff that you can do. So I think it's certainly, and not to get completely off, but it just got me thinking like everything is going that way. All initiatives, all projects. If you don't, especially at those kind of companies, probably like Google, Microsoft, et cetera, the ones that are going to be prioritized are things around all things. Think about it like this. Look at all the apps. If you pull out your phone and look at every app on there, how many of those do you really need an app for, right? Do you really need an app for Uber? Or could you just tell your phone to order you an Uber when you needed to get somewhere, right? Yeah, that'd be great. Do you, there's so many things like that. If you look at every one of the apps on your phone, Those are the low-hanging fruits that are going to be integrated into an on-device technology, right? And I think that when you think about things like the R1 Rabbit or the AI Pin, I don't know if you've heard of that one too. No. Similar concept. It's like a little phone that you wear, like a lapel almost. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Again, will these technologies succeed? Very much to be determined, right? Do I think that the large players, the Google, the Androids and the Apples of the world will make their own version of this? It's better, probably. Yeah. But what they are is first movers that are demonstrating, in my opinion, a technology that's going to come into every facet of our lives. Even like ordering food. Do I, if something knew what my preferences were and what I was looking for, do I even really need to browse a menu? Or can I have a device or an AI help me order? There's so many places where you know, budgeting, like managing my finances. Do I, if something was really evaluating how much I was spending on what, do I even need to worry about a budget if there's a technology there that knows enough about how to budget to help me do that? You would think the, like when you go back to the phones, like a Siri or Alexa, whatever, and whatever Google calls his, hers thing. But those things have got to get smarter because right now they're not that smart. Like, do you use Siri or anything? It can do some stuff, but it's not, doesn't yep. feel that smart at all. It seems like AI would be hugely, a huge opportunity to embed AI into the voice kind of act, the stuff. I think that any smart company now, what they need to do is we've all built apps as technologists and yeah. these different companies that are single track, right? They do the purpose of our job. Yeah. 
And because we have a company and we're isolated, we're not like collaborating with every other company in the ecosystem of the phone. Where we're going to shift is we're going to start homogenizing, right? Like we will provide as we will provide services, like Uber will provide a service for taxis. But does it need to be the app that you go to for Uber? No, that could be completely integrated into a phone and you could have a seamless experience where really they're just an endpoint to hire a taxi. And I think that's a lot of people will probably push back and disagree on this. But I think ultimately, if the popularity of large language models continues, that's going to be the direction that we head. Things are going to homogenize more and more. I don't disagree, but I think there's a lot of partnerships and and a lot of things that you'd have to do that because, for example, Uber, Lyft, whatever, they have competitors and which one are they going to use, which services, same thing with food and restaurants and all that stuff. How do you just seamlessly integrate into a phone to get you to do all those things? How do you separate the, the restaurant or taxi or Uber or whatever from just, hey, give me a tax or... Unless you say, give me an Uber, whatever, it does all that stuff. If you seem like it, phone just, they have to have services. Right? I don't know. Have you seen the techno, ever use the technology IFT? It's like an old school thing came out years ago, but essentially what it was just an interface that allowed you to program integrations with any application, right? Huh. And so like before home, like Apple Home and all these other technologies, you could say like, all right, if I play this music on Spotify, turn my hue lights to red or something or blue or whatever. Yeah. I think that it's going to be the same kind of interface on a phone where instead of making apps for the phone, you're going to be integrating your services into the phone, if that makes sense. Uh, that's They're having to partner with those specific phone companies to do that, right? Yeah, I think it'll be more like an open-ended connection store to Uh, enable your large language model to take more actions on your behalf. You connect into these services like Uber or... So you think the whole ecosystem of the app stuff is changing, going to change completely with AI stuff like that? I think so, because unless it's an app, the ones that I'm unsure on is like a Spotify, right? Because Spotify is one of these apps where or even a Google Maps, where you like to explore on it, right? I don't think I would want to explore using a large language model, like talking to it about the best things. I like to see a map. I like to touch. I like to interact and look at pictures. But for something like booking a taxi, there's you're trying to get to a destination and you've got, you just want to find either the cheapest route or like the nicest car or the fastest car, but there's a limited set of variables for what you want to ride in to get from point yeah. A to point B. You just want to get to point A to B, not to say yeah. that maybe you want a nicer one or whatever, but pretty much I need it now. Yeah. <laughs> not 20, maybe you, you can't schedule out, but most people, okay, let's get an Uber or whatever and go. Totally. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more too on things like the areas that I think are super valuable for this kind of stuff is like insurance, right? I think mm. that this is a whole industry that is ripe for somebody to come out with a large language model that helps you navigate your policy, right? These complexities where it's a lot of data, but typically there's a fixed set of things that you need to figure out to make a decision. Most people make their decisions on where's like the cheapest place to go. Is this in yeah. network, right? Does my insurance cover generics or does it cover the name brand medicines, right? These types of conversations that 
for a lot of people are very, I think even for myself, these are complex decisions that take a lot of unnecessary time. And my criteria, it typically is just what is the cheapest thing to get me I from. I feel like, Michael, you just said you're smarter than most people because you said, including myself. I think that I've spent a long time navigating data and stuff like that and reading these kind of contracts, but they're incredibly confusing, right? Yeah, they are. I agree. Look at if you're about to have a child or you have to go in for a serious procedure, trying to figure out where to go and if your insurance covers you is a complex process, right? It shouldn't be that complex. It is complex. It's so complex that that these insurance companies are billing for hospital stays and all these other things. And sometimes they get denied. And then they have nurses look at these nurses work from home. And they look at all these policies to, to say, you know what? This actually should be approved because of A, B, C, and D. And there's a whole yeah. network of people doing stuff. You can imagine what it's like for people like you and me and everyday people trying to figure out if you're covered on certain things and what you're not covered on and all that kind of stuff. You're, you don't know. You're sick. You're going to the yeah. hospital because you're trying to get it fixed and not hurt anymore. You don't, don't know all that shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a huge problem they could solve. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, I think that there's a lot of opportunities like that where we built apps that are inefficient and they're... Yeah. They take a lot of time. And, and honestly, I think that the entire app market is struggling from that, right? Is that there's so many redundancies in the apps that we use in our day-to-day life that could be optimized with things like large language models and AI. And at the end of the day, it's about simplicity and ease of use and getting the answers quickly. It's just things, it's funny because not to relate this to my daily job, but my daily job is building online communities or part that part of my daily job has seemed like it's expanded yeah. but is people want answers quickly about complex problems and how do they get that when they ask each other or they ask the company or whatever big problem why do you think google think about what google is on yeah. or any search engine there they have a problem they want to solve so think about all those problems that large language models solve at the end of the day even the internet it's when you search for something you don't always find what you're looking for quickly LLMs solve that problem. And so if you look at it from a simplicity standpoint, from a, hey, how do I put this into the, to an app or make this easier and not even do it, use an app, AI solves a lot of that. Yeah. And I don't know, man, I agree. I think that there's a lot of talk about this, right? Like how much is this going to simplify our lives? How much is AI going to simplify our lives? And we're talking about in the context of a phone, but I think that Outside of that, like in the B2B world, in the B2C world, there's a lot of pressure on Google right now and all of these companies to reduce costs based off of the claims of what AI can do. I don't necessarily believe that it will be as good as we've claimed that it will for a while. I think that, sure, can, are there opportunities to reduce customer care and customer services? Absolutely. Especially if you're not a highly technical business. But even if you are, there's probably a good use case for it in some instances. I don't think that it's, I think that, that ultimately, like if you're a large company, it doesn't matter if ChatGPT is going to give you the right answer or not. You probably want to speak to a person still because of the feeling yeah. of assurance that you get from talking to an expert that you know is there for you 
and not a machine. And I think that it's going to take us a while as a society to move away from the being comfortable talking to a machine to get answers in the same way. I think that even myself, like when I'm doing something important, I might ask ChatGPT, but I go look it up online just to ver verify that it's real. Or I go talk to a friend of mine saying, is this the best way to do it? But What's I, exactly I, what you just said, Michael, is I go look it up online, right? Yeah. So it takes time to trust it, because we know that these large language models aren't 100% trustworthy because they yeah. don't say the right things or they hallucinate or whatever. And so I agree. Everything takes time to evolve. Anything that, you know, that you think about it, even the app market for phones, how long did that take? It, they came up with the iPhone. They didn't have a lot of apps. People had to start building the apps. It just took a while or social. When you look at social networking, Facebook wasn't just all of a sudden popular. You know, you had MySpace and then Facebook did come out, but then you know, they, they finally went public, but then they didn't know how to make money. Look, it just evolves. TikToks, all these things are now out, but, and, and I think it just takes time. You have now people aware of AI, companies making things yeah. about all things AI, and it just evolves. Next year will be even bigger and better. All these things that are coming out now, probably isn't jack shit. It all dies out and something else comes out because it's way better than what version one looked like. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, it just... It will take years. I'm not saying it takes years for people to start developing and doing AI things because that's what they're doing right now. And everything is going that way. And it will be fun to see and interesting to, to see five years from now what happens. And we'll go back to this podcast and be like, dude, you just don't know. <laughs> Look, I remember even three years ago talking to a friend of mine and he's telling me about large language models and transformers. And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. Sounds cool on paper, right? But will it really happen? We'll see. And then here we are now. We're in this phase where we're talking about what it could look like in another three to five years. And look at how far we've come, right? Yeah. If you looked back three years ago, nobody was thinking that this would be what it has become for the AI community and the AI space, right? This is, in so many ways, helped transform people's mindset of how powerful AI is. One company did that, Michael. One company did that. Yeah, And if it wasn't for OpenAI to say, you know what, fuck it, let's push this out there and let people play with it and it open it up to the world. Yeah. All of a sudden, people just started playing with it, doing shit and thought it was the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's, oh, AI has been around since, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. My IBM has been doing Watson type things. But that never, it slightly took off, but never took off, right? Like it just lost steam. But now, because it was open to the public, because anybody could do anything with it, it was just like, oh, that's interesting. And all of a sudden, it's the buzz. It's because of open AI and what they did. They took a chance, right? Like they were like, eh, fuck it, let's open this shit up and see what happens. And now look at it. Every yeah. single company in the world is thinking about it. And they're hiring people to do stuff. And it's an exciting time. And it's just... It's interesting how just one company can do that. Yeah, it's certainly a big bet. I think that it, it's, I don't want to give them all the credit because I think there are a lot of other companies, but they definitely led the, the charge, right? Like, Let's just say this, fair enough, but they're the ones that opened it up for the public, for everybody to play with it and made yeah. it mainstream, okay? Totally. Yes, there was lots of good AI things happening and companies doing stuff. I'm not saying that. I remember before open AI, somebody said, we're doing some AI stuff. And to the normal person like me, I was like, I don't care. Like, whatever the fuck that means. Like, I don't know. But now, 
I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, now I have, a, not to say I do, but I have a better understanding. And for me, it's because I hang out with people like you that does this stuff for a living. Fair totally. enough that you say that and you can't give credit to you open AI for all AI stuff, but you can't give credit for just opening it up and making it open to the public and, and allowing no, them I mean, to do look, that. They led the charge. They were the largest and the loudest. And I think yeah. that they did a really good job promoting AI in a way that nobody had thought was possible to the masses, right? And now you look at, I can't tell you how long I spent trying to tell my parents what I do and explain it to them. <laughs> now you just, and now just, they're using chat GPT and they're like, oh, we get, this is AI. This is cool. So you do things like this and it's good enough. We'll move forward. From that. <laughs> it's, funny. it's funny because whenever we started first having this conversation, we had companies like mine and other companies that support B2B type companies. And I thought, what does ChatGPT even mean for like my company? And it is not to say that it doesn't help, but it pushes the, puts the pressure on these B2B companies like mine to do stuff. But it also is a huge risk for them because we deal with a bunch of data from people and or from big companies. And you're like, yep. okay, you can't just open up a ChatGPT and now we're reading all your data and all of, you can't do that. And so it's just, it's interesting. And, and it also made me think, about that. Like I thought, why doesn't my company do it? Well, you can't just do it. You have to now start hiring people to do it. You've got to start building the models within your own product and things like that. It's just, I don't know, man, there's a lot of stuff to figure out, but companies are going to start figuring it out. I have no doubt. The other thing is this stuff is still very expensive, right? And I yeah. think that's the thing that you can host a model yourself, but can you run it in a cost-effective manner anonymously? Yeah. Right? That's a really big challenge. And I think that everybody right now is thinking about that as they start to build out these apps. Character.ai, right? It's getting millions of active users. They're hemorrhaging money. There's no revenue model there, right? Yes. I think that's why the on-device, like this idea of bringing large language models to the device is so attractive because then it doesn't cost you anything, right? Versus these massive, like, ChatGPT style server-side models are getting bombarded with requests and inundated with cost. And we've done this out at BVS and other places as well. It's going to be a really interesting, we should probably do another podcast on reducing the cost of large language models, because I think that is an area that a lot of people are probably interested in. And as soon as you start prototyping, you come up with these amazing ideas and these great ex execution paths, and then you're like, wait, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> yeah. Scaled by what am I paying per query? Yeah. Right. Lots of different things are going to come. More advanced caching, more advanced ops. We should do another podcast on that in the future. Yeah, let's do it because you're right. The The expense is just ridiculous right now. But just as everything that we talked about now, there'll be a focus in on how do you reduce costs? How do you make these chips and whatever smaller, but can come more compact and more cheaper and all of these things. Now there's going to be a focus on that, right? All these technology companies like Intel, et cetera, will figure it out at some point. I think, yep. just as they always have. Think about like how much this iPhone that we have or whatever phone you use can hold, how much space it can hold, how, how what it can do when the pro it's a computer now in your hands. It's even sometimes more powerful than like a small shitty computer that you get, right? So it's you pretty know, cool. I did this math app for a presentation recently. The first computer I ever touched, this IBM 
It was one of the ones that had a green screen. You had floppy disks that you inserted. I had a Commodore in. 64 or whatever, but yeah. I don't know if you remember that. The iPhone that I have is 500,000 times faster. <laughs> it's the exactly. equivalent of 500,000 of those computers, right? Yeah. That is like, when you look back and you're like, wow, and that's not that long, right? 30 years or so, and it's holy cow. You know, that's long. we've come so far, though. If you look at the order of magnitude yeah. that technology is accelerated at, and I think that when you think about large language models, we're in that yeah. IBM 86. That's right. Old that's machine. And, yeah. and you just yeah. got to look. I think one of the things that we all have to think about with as we look at these new technologies is how can we think more logarithmically about where things are headed? Because not everything's going to scale that quickly, but there is some really big opportunity for us to move faster in a lot of these areas. And I think we're going to get there. No doubt, man. I look at it as, and we can wrap it up, but I look at it as when I was 15 years old, I didn't have a computer, right? There was, if there was a computer, our schools didn't have them. We weren't using them on a daily basis and all that kind of stuff. That's just basic computing stuff, right? Certainly there were no cell phones. There was none of that. And you think about where we've come and like you said, 30 years just from building the computers to the internet. The internet wasn't even around when I was 15 years old, which maybe that tells me I'm old, but it just wasn't there. And so you're right. The technology kind of advances has just been astronomical in the last 30 years. and AI does is a huge shift and change, but it's just the next evolution, man, of some sort. We're just in the 101 stage or the, like you said, IBM 86 or whatever that computer was. We're just in that stage. And five years from now, 10 years from now, everything's going to look a little bit different, whether it's apps or how we engage and interact with the internet and things. Who knows? We don't know. It just has to evolve. It's pretty cool. But anything else, Michael? Now, this was a good talk. We'll see you guys next time. Don't forget to rate and review us, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Take care.